Hey, out there in Radio Land, this is Pastor Spencer there. Um, we are here for our midweek discussion on the uh, sermon. Take five. Take five. Hope you're doing well. Um, only two of us were really working this week. Uh, me and Dave. Scott was gone to, to Louisville. Are you insinuating that the only work day we have is on Sunday? No, no. I'm just saying <laughs> that. <laughs> Well, actually, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll own that. Yeah, okay. we only work on Sundays. <laughs> and so, no, we were there, and Pastor Tim was able to get up front. Yeah, I was there. In front of people. Yeah, and they so were. So I didn't work? I was. I didn't know if I should start to clap for I you. I do announcements. Whenever you got up there, I didn't know if you wanted that. I didn't. Or, you know, and also, it's kind of different. I didn't know if there's a certain seal we should put on the pulpit. Kind of like when the president's there, they put a presidential seal on there. Yeah, the like the the like maybe we should get the MNBC logo <laughs> to put it on front of the pulpit well, you when guys you're there. Weren't supposed to have the cross light on when I was gone. Have you oh, had that on? I don't. I I didn't know. I, I have to talk to Tom. It's only supposed to be on when when you're there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All of you. Must have been like the Krispy Kreme sign. Yeah. Like the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I had two of those last night. Don't talk that's to Scott about that. Hurts. They were good. Scott doesn't, yeah. Scott doesn't like those. I know they were good. They are delicious. Krispy Kreme donuts are are very good, especially when they're warm. Yeah. They would not win any awards. I was laying on my couch. I ate two of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've been going through a little mini series here, um, walking through. First of all, who is Jesus? Next month, what did Jesus come to do? Leading into uh, Easter, obviously, for next month. So last week, Pastor Scott did, um, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lamb of God um, from John chapter 1, I think verse 29. This week, um, we we did a second uh, statement about who Jesus is, and it's a confession of Peter. And uh, we took it from Mark chapter 8, although it's found in the other Gospels. Um, as well in Matthew and in Luke, that uh, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. So we focus on who, what that means, that Jesus is the Christ, um, the anointed one, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, the way I opened up the service um, for trying to go at the issue of uh, being the Christ was uh, actually by bringing up my daughter as someone who loves Bath and Body Works. And uh, because whenever you go, do you guys ever go to Bath and Body Works here in Monroe? No one does. I uh, got a gift from my wife there. Yeah. I went in there recently after watching. In the, the mall? Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's the only store, right? <laughs> there's yeah. a few others. Yeah. There's also like a Claire's maybe there. and uh, There's a Spencer's, but that place Spencer's. is not, not good to go to. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you can play a lot. There's, there's actually multiple like comic book video game stores. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's there's a Bath and Body Works. You go in there, right? My daughter loves all the fragrances, um, all the stuff there is to smell. And I played off of that image of fragrance because I was uh, reading this week about uh, anointing, because Jesus being the Christ means he's the anointed one. And you look in the Old Testament at anointings, and the uh, it was actually in a in like a Bible dictionary encyclopedia that we have. Um, upstairs multiple volumes and uh, this one I was reading it was really helpful to point out that whenever Aaron because one of the early instances of anointing we have is when Aaron is anointed to the priesthood with the holy oil because we're told the oil was a special recipe that only that it was only to be used in certain sacred functions and it was made with expensive ingredients and we're told that Aaron had the turban, the special hat on. He had the the uh, 
the clothing on the coat or whatever it was, and then the oil was poured on him. And the author of this article pointed out that that meant the oil was going to basically kind of like mark or stain his clothing as well. And so his clothing would always bear the fragrance of his anointing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a pretty fascinating thing. I'd never thought about that. Mm -hmm. You see the image of Aaron's uh, anointing in Psalm 133, where the psalmist says how wonderful it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the oil that flows down on Aaron's head, and he talks about it going down through his beard, the descent of the oil over his robes. And so the fragrance of the anointing was not, it was, there was a powerful aroma associated with the anointed one. And uh, you could see that also later on with David, where I could imagine the, whenever uh, Samuel goes and takes the horn of oil and anoints David, um, not only did they see the liquid being poured over David, but also they could have probably smelled the fragrance of the oils as it just exuded all of these things, um, reminding them that, that here is the, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen one. And so pointing out that, that's kind of the image I played off of uh, for talking about Jesus as the Christ. I use the idea of the fragrance of Christ. And asking the question, in a sense, what was it about Jesus in his um, life and ministry, particularly you can, first of all, leading up to Mark chapter 8, to Peter's confession, to where Jesus doesn't ever say and come out, I am the Christ. He never comes out and tells them that. Um, they have to watch his life and ministry and, in a sense, deduce it first. They have to watch him and see him and know all the characteristics about him uh, to where eventually Peter then says, well, you are the Christ. You're the, the son of the living God. And so I talked about three fragrances leading up to this, the fragrance of authority, the fragrance of um, new life in the spirit, and then lastly, the fragrance of compassion for sinners. All of those are three key components that people around Jesus early on noticed about him. And uh, Peter would have noticed about Jesus. But then we talked about afterwards um, with the fact that that wasn't the fullness, though, of the fragrance of Christ, um, particularly with his cross, where Peter did not understand um, the, the rest of what it was, what was a part of being the anointed one, the one upon whom the Spirit of God had been poured out. So um, we'll stop there for now. Um, any thoughts about Christ, the anointing? or anointing in general in the Bible, or any thoughts that come to your mind beyond those that I've even mentioned? You were in Mark what? Eight. Eight. 27 through 30, basically. I mean, I, it, it doesn't necessarily go with, I mean, it does go with anointing, because that was your theme. But I, I liked about, um, when you mentioned about the emotion that Jesus is most, how did you say it? Characteristic uh, or it's character attributed to him attributed the most in the gospels yeah, with, yeah. with compassion, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I was thinking about the passage when it when his when he was with his disciples, and they were uh, in the with the crowds, and he and his and it says that um, that he saw he saw the crowds and they yeah. were harassed and helpless yeah. like sheep without a shepherd, yeah. and it it moved him to compassion like the idea of like it it like was in the in the depths of his bowels yeah. you know yep. And uh, I think that's really powerful because it helps us understand, you know, who 
you know, God in flesh, you know, that the Son of God is, yes, uh, divine, he is God, but also identifies with us, you know, and and has that that compassionate posture Mm -hmm. toward suffering and hurt and affliction and sin and all that. So that was helpful. No, that's a good point. Yeah, that was a lot of, I mean, that that's uh, rooted in that there's that an old, uh, well-known article of B.B. Warfield, an old mm-hmm. writer from a, about 100 years ago now, who uh, wrote an article called The Emotional mm-hmm. Life of Our Lord. And he points out that the, the number one attributed emotion of, to Jesus is compassion mm-hmm. in the gospel letters. Yeah. And uh, he highlights that love is the foundation for compassion or compassion. I forget how he put it. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they go hand in hand. And that that is a fascinating thing because you do see that consistently mm-hmm. of Jesus showing compassion, having pity, being moved uh, to a sincere love and uh, wanting to help those in need mm-hmm. around him. It's also fascinating that that's the unique characteristic, for instance, in the in the uh, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the mm-hmm. Good Samaritan. The, the defining characteristic of the Good Samaritan is compassion, yep. mercy. And uh, that is something that the Pharisees and that's something that the Levite, the, 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 the priest and the Levites were told did not show in mm-hmm. that parable. But this Samaritan showed compassion for someone who was in need. And that is something that exudes, I think, the anointing of Jesus mm-hmm. to where sinners were willing to come to him. I didn't bring this up, and I had thought about taking the sermon in this way, um, because on the one hand, we have God, we have God anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit, um, as we're told in Acts chapter 10, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good. So God, God anoints Jesus, but then also it's fascinating. There are two instances where Jesus allows himself to be anointed by sinners. Once with the sinful woman in mm-hmm. Luke chapter 7, which you read, Dave, yeah. where um, uh, a beautiful passage one of my favorites. And the second one is with Mary when she anoints Jesus for mm-hmm. his burial, mm-hmm. where Jesus says, this is going to be told in the gospel wherever mm-hmm. she is at. Um, that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me that Jesus not only is anointed by God with power and the Holy Spirit, and he has all the authority, and he's empowered and endowed with all those things. But then on the other hand, he's so humble and also... Um, it's like uh, sinners are not can't help but be attracted to the fragrance and the aroma of Jesus, mm-hmm. to where they just come, fall at his feet. And Jesus tells, remember, is it Simon, um, you, uh, I came to your house, but you didn't wash my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears. Mm-hmm. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointing my feet with her with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not wiping my, my feet or whatever. She's using her hair. Mm-hmm. Um, She loves much, and therefore that's an indication that she has been forgiven much. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating there is faith is described. Jesus says her faith has saved her. Faith there is is pictured as welcoming and hosting Jesus, Mm. receiving him, taking him into yourself. You didn't take me into your house, Simon, but she has. Mm -hmm. And this isn't even her house, but she's taken me into herself, Mm -hmm. right, to be hers. And therefore, her faith has saved her. Go in peace. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Those are something. So there's those are a couple of interesting things. And also then the the, the anointing of by Mary for his burial. We're also told in uh, one of the gospel accounts that the fragrance filled the room. 
It was, it was yeah. a powerful aroma. It explicitly states that. And you could imagine that whenever she breaks that over Jesus, that anointing, that fragrance stuck with him, maybe even all the way uh, to, to the cross. Um, because I don't know how often, I mean, it's kind of weird, but I don't know how often they actually bathed mm-hmm. back then. I would assume that there's a chance that that powerful aroma was with him throughout that last week of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you could still smell the anointing for his burial mm-hmm. that Mary had done. Um, just some, obviously those things are not explicitly stated in the gospels, but yeah. it's just something to, I think to, to consider when we're talking about the anointing of Jesus. So one, a question I had is you're t- obviously talking about the anointing of Christ yeah. as it relates to his priesthood, right? Or like, as it relates to the priesthood as the, like as Aaron, not, not only that. Well, but like, how does that differ from like the anointing that David received, like as King, like, would it be used like the same, like special, blend of oils that you were talking about like would it sure. be just as aromatic or was it I would is that different I do not know that I don't know what oil they used for David I did bring up David at the beginning of the sermon where I talked about David being anointed and uh the promise of the Messiah being the son of David mm-hmm. through that cuz it it would even yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Because I was thinking, like, is it in the, some of the Psalms where it references the anointed one? Yeah. Like the Lord's anointed? Yeah. Like that's not, I wouldn't think, referring to the priest, but would be no. referring to the king. Correct. Right? Correct. Yeah, Psalm 89 um, explicitly references, um, you know, verse 20, I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. There's also a verse that I didn't mention from Psalm 45 uh, that you could also talk about where uh, it's explicitly applied to Christ, um, where it says, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Um, your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. I also didn't go into details in this because uh, I know this is kind of like a... Uh, you know, there's different interpretations of this book, but it's fascinating the role that fragrance plays in the Song of Solomon. And uh, we all know that the David's name means beloved, and the male is described as beloved. She's saying, in a sense, my David. Where's my David at? And uh, I'd have to go back through there, but that was also something that's fascinating, the role, because it talks about fragrances in there, right? And... Uh, I just wonder, though, the role that that was—that is an image again of the anointed one, the one that has just got the oil of gladness um, uh, poured upon him. Yeah, because also we also pointed out, and Tim read it. The opening scripture was from Isaiah sixty-one, where it says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the captives, to declare the opening of the prison to those who are bound." And Jesus says, "This is me, right? I have been anointed." Um to do all of these things, to bring new life to sinners. Um, and we see that in all of his ministry of healing, of restoring. And uh, it shows that Jesus' whole ministry as the anointed one is to uh, reverse the curse, to bring life, to cause the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the dead to live, um, the sinners to be forgiven. All of those things happen in Jesus' life and ministry. So, I know this is a longer question to answer, but when you're talking about compassion and all that stuff and what you're talking about, how do we how do we mimic that well as Christians today, you know, being compassionate? Because I think we would all agree that there are some Christians and segments of Christianity who have run too far with that, where that like that's everything. 
of of helping the homeless or something, you know, what, whatever it might be. He gets us. Yeah, they had a really bad commercial. They had a couple the of day. them last night. They yeah. got lambasted not just by Christians, but by really? non-Christians. I hated it. Anyways. They showed Jesus. They showed people washing feet last night. They, yeah. Yeah, anyways, it was yeah. Yeah. didn't get good But that's, that just goes to show exactly what you're talking yeah, about. That was about. the message. Like, that's the picture. And so there is an aspect I think all Christians think about that, though, of like, I want to be compassionate because Jesus came and was compassionate and so I do want to I do want to care for the broken I I want to visit those in prison you know like it talks about uh you know when did we do that you know when you did it to anyone you did it to me he said I want I want to live that life but I know for me that's a hard balance to think about and how much do you do that do you do that for everybody because if you get into that mode of wanting to be compassionate, I feel like it can become very overwhelming because you start to realize I don't have the capacity to help everybody. And I don't even really have the capacity to help many. You know what I mean? And you can start to, a lot of Christians, I bet, start to question themselves, start mm-hmm. to wonder how much they really love people, how much are they Definitely. really being like Christ. And so that's why I said I know this is bigger than yeah. maybe the time we have. But I was just thinking about that as you talk about, because you said like, the the one thing that describes Jesus the most is compassion in, mm-hmm. in the gospel. So it's like okay, so that's pretty important. Yeah, so I think first I of that? first of all, I would say it's important to be reminded that what we just said is it's Jesus's compassion, not my compassion. When I say that is not because we shouldn't be compassionate, because Jesus explicitly tells us in uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan that that is what we are called to be compassionate, but. The thing that saves and changes sinners is not my compassion. It's Jesus's compassion. So Jesus has, because of his perfect life and death and the union of his two natures in one person, has an infinite depth of compassion upon which to pull from that I don't have. And so, first of all, we're saying, look at Jesus's compassion. Don't look at my compassion. My compassion is a very, very very faint reflection of his. So we are called to be compassionate, but don't look at Jesus first of all. Don't read this as a new law to be followed. This is first and foremost a promise to be believed. Second of all, Jesus' compassion, um, right, so for instance, um, you could see some of his compassion here in Isaiah 61. Um, He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. But the problem is, is what sometimes, so it's, it's, um, it's compassion to proclaim liberty to the captives, but not to tell the captives. But it's okay if you guys want to stay in chains, right? Or to those who are bound in prison, you guys can still stay prisoners to sin. That's okay if you don't want to, but uh, that's not what that's not what compassion does, right? And even with Jesus, with the sinful woman here. Um, she comes and she is uh, before him, and Jesus says, "Your sins are forgiven." He doesn't say, "You're not really a sinner." That's not compassion. Compassion looks at her problem because you can't really have compassion on somebody unless you are able to see first and foremost their need. You have to see what their need is, and the problem with so many things today, where we hear about compassion, is we're not really talking about the real needs. Um, the real need this woman had in which we all have ultimately is sin and guilt along with shame that flows from that. 
And Jesus comes to deal with that. So Jesus tells her, your sins are forgiven. Not, you know what, your sins are not really a big deal or you're, you're not really a sinner. He acknowledges her sin. He calls it what it is and then deals with it. But the problem that so much today is uh, when we talk about compassion is I think so many people label compassion as uh, they're just lying. They're saying you're not a sinner or this isn't a problem or you're not bound or it's okay if you stay in those chains. And that's not what Jesus came to do, right? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but there's still still this burden I think a lot of people feel of I can be compassionate, though, and still fulfill what you're talking about of trying to share the gospel with them. And obviously there's going to be people who come through that you are compassionate with or meet a need who have no interest in the gospel. And I don't think we would be saying if they ever came back that we would say, no, 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 you don't get it now because you said no before to Christ. I don't think we're, we would say no. that either. And so I think there's just Christians who struggle with maybe in order to be a real good Christian like Jesus, what I have to do is I have to go work for charity and oh. share the gospel in there. What I need to start doing is I probably should go into missions they're and missing, give my life to this. You know what I'm saying? They're I'm, missing the point of what compassion is, though. <clears throat> compassion, the verb itself, is not describing external works automatically. It's describing an internal disposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can that can look so differently externally. But it can be hard, right? I mean, I think we could would say when you look at like the Good Samaritan and those types of things, and it's like, see, this person helped. And so we start to think, I, that needs to be me. I want to be that person who is, who is helping. And so sure. I, I just think a lot of people think about that and, and struggle with that. Of mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to do more. I need to do more. And that can be a bad place to go. Sure. Right? Right. And it's important, too, to talk about the Good Samaritan because the Good Samaritan, the, the, at least if you're going to stick with that parable, he didn't go out and look for that guy. It right. was as he was living his life, he came across a need mm-hmm. and met it. Yeah, sure. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, and that's, so for instance, you can have people with the same problem with, for instance, the word repentance. The word repentance does not actually talk about any works you do. Mm-hmm. We're told to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, but repentance itself is simply a change of mind. It's something internal. And, but the problem is, is if you equate repentance with I don't do X, Y, or Z anymore. Those are fruits resulting from repentance, but those themselves are not repentance. Similarly, compassion can be exhibited by working for a charity, but that itself does not mean that you're a compassionate person, right? Compassion is an internal movement of the heart. That's what we see here described to Jesus. And it expresses itself, it bears fruits of compassion, but those fruits of compassion themselves, um, they can flow from compassion, but we also know people that can do those same exact things and not really be compassionate at all. And so that's actually the key thing is is not so focused on all the external works, which we should want to do those things, but that's going to look so different in everybody's individual life. Mm-hmm. The key thing is that we keep that we um, really just stick near and close to Jesus. And as we're with him, he slowly will change us into um, to be like him, um, I think. Yeah, and I think what you were saying, Tim, is good because there is almost like this overcorrection because there, you know, there is this sense of like, oh, you know, 
I need to be compassionate, so maybe I should sponsor a child for Compassionate International or whatever. And those are good things. But I think sometimes we can overcorrect and kind of feel guilty, kind of like you were saying, like a works. And at the same time, I also think that you can overcorrect when it's like, well, I don't really need to, to do that, you know, because you know, I just need to, you know, just just kind of, you know, stay here in my bubble and just kind of, you know, read my Bible and then neglect maybe needs around you, you know? And so, like, Scott and I were talking, was it last week, Scott, or the week before, about just sometimes it seems like like people that know the most theology, I don't remember even the context of our conversation, that are very, can also be the most, like, unkind not compassionate people because their heads are so filled with doctrine, you know, and theology, which is good to have that, obviously. But if that's all you focus on, then the relational components of caring about people, compassion, and that's, that's what Jesus had problems with the Pharisees, right? It wasn't like the Pharisees didn't have a true understanding of God's law. They did. They were just so focused on all the regulations and the rules that it, literally block their heart from caring about people. And so it's a balance, right? We don't want to go overcorrect here or overcorrect here. And so I think that learning to, to have that balance is, is important, like a lot of things in life. So, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking? I don't remember. We, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we were talking about that. So. Eventually with the um, discussion though, it eventually also ties in though to where that's really in a sense leading up to Mark chapter eight. And Mark really can be divided in two basic halves. The first half shows the powerful Son of God. The second half shows the suffering Son of God. Because Peter and the disciples could really get on board with basically uh, what Jesus was saying here up till about verse 30. And then when Jesus begins to tell them that he's going to be rejected, killed, raised again on the third day, that is something then that Peter says, no, that, that can't happen. He rebukes Jesus. And so the thing that we see in the cross, though, and this is kind of these, these things that I think Paul kind of talks about in 1 Corinthians, the foolishness of the cross, where Jesus has all authority, and yet he looks completely weak whenever he's being judged by the world. Um, he, he seems entirely uh, unable to uh, do anything. He also has been giving new life to everybody, but now he seems, and he's bound over to death. Uh, he is shown compassion. He shows compassion for sinners all around him, but yet he himself is not shown any. He is rejected. Isaiah says, "We esteemed him not; we did not regard him as as his life as of any worth." And so then we talked about the reality is, is we know something about Christ, but then whenever it goes through the cross, whenever you look at the disciples and you see everybody's reaction to Jesus, you see um, one response is betrayal, one is denial, one is condemnation by the Pharisees, one is indifference in a sense by Pilate, one is running away and abandoning him like the rest of the disciples do. Um, all of those, all of those, those uh, acts are acts of disappointment, of unbelief, really, uh, going through a trial um, because Jesus isn't the Christ they thought he was. And as we close here, though, one of the things um, I didn't mention exactly, uh, but um, Peter talks about at Pentecost, though, that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. And Peter's move talking in Acts chapter 2, his sermon, basically is, you killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead, but now 
here's forgiveness. Because the one thing we talked about was um, in the Old Testament, you remember David has multiple opportunities to kill Saul. And what does David say? No, we can't lay our hand on the Lord's anointed. It's a huge deal. And so later on, when some people come to him at the very beginning of 2 Samuel, right, and they're saying, they, they think they're going to get David's favor by saying, yeah, I, uh, I, I, took out the, I took out Saul for you. And David has him executed <laughs> because we don't do that. And now, though, you have the whole nation of Israel now being held responsible because Peter's saying, you all killed the Lord's anointed. And not only that, He's back from the dead. And you can imagine the dread that's come. He's coming back for vengeance. And this is what he's poured out. And they're thinking, oh, no, we're dead. And we're told they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were pricked. And they said, what are we going to do, brothers? What should we do now? And they don't say, you know, maybe if you do enough good things, maybe God will overlook this. Or maybe you can, you know, kind of get back into the good graces of the Christ, the anointed one. Nope. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who, who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. A declaration of pardon to those who had been the ones who had executed the Lord's Christ. You know, you killed him, God raised him, because it was not possible for death to hold him. Now, in light of all of this, Trust in him, be forgiven, look upon him alone as your savior. Um, that's what he proclaims to them. And uh, it strikes me because John Bunyan has a book called The Jerusalem Sinner Saved. And I never thought about it till I read um, some of this book where he says, it's fascinating that Jesus says at the very end of Luke 24, as he's the Christ, right? Because he says, right? It was necessary for the Christ to suffer. It was necessary for this. And then he says, it's also written that, uh, well, let me turn to it real quick here. Luke 24, the very tail end, the last few verses, where he says that, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The place I want you to start at is the place that rejected me the most and in the most obvious way. Mm-hmm. I want you to go to the Jerusalem sinners, to the people that were shouting for me to die, and I want you to go to them first. So even the most despicable, blatant, unbelieving, rejecting sinners, Jesus shows his compassion as the anointed one of God and says, start there. And that's amazing grace. That's really powerful stuff because I think, if I was honest, I would say, let's start with the Gentiles and maybe we'll get to Jerusalem. But he says, nope, start there first. Start with those people who crucified and killed me and asked for my blood. And uh, because the amazing thing is, is that God was using their anger, their spite, their hatred, ultimately to take away the sins of the world, as uh, John says in John 1. So, all right. Is there any thoughts closing before we wrap up? No thoughts. Okay. You guys are an enthusiastic group today. Tim's yawning. Scott's on his phone. Dave's looking relaxed. And, um, okay. Well, Tim, do you have anything you would like to add to the people? You nope. t- this is your audience. These are your people. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Where are you supposed to be? 
I'm not supposed to do anything for two more weeks. Good. You going to go home? Rest? I don't know. I still got more work to do here. Oh, okay. Fair enough. All right. I'll take care out there. Thanks for listening. God bless.